The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 23. Last week, we looked at the first 11 verses, and uh, we're going to begin with verse 11 in just a moment. But here, the Apostle Paul is really, you know, he is going all out. Uh, He is fulfilling his life calling and his divine purpose. The Lord had told him when he got radically saved on the road to Damascus, you will witness for me in Rome. You will witness in Jerusalem, but you will also witness for me in Rome. And this was Paul's heart's goal. This was his desire. And there was a lot of things coming against him. Uh, And what we're going to find out is that when God's hand is upon one of his children's lives, nothing can stop what God is going to do. So the title of the message tonight is Unstoppable. You and I who are in Christ and following his leading and guiding and his anointing upon our lives, we are unstoppable for the purpose God has for us. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you, we worship you, we praise you, and we welcome, again, thank you for the sweet, uh, beautiful time of worship, Lord. We lift up your name, praise you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name, we come before our Heavenly Father, our Abba, our Daddy in Heaven. Oh Lord, how we love you, how we praise you, how we worship you. And we as your sons and daughters tonight uh, in your house, Lord, we, are, we have a lot of things that are challenging us, a lot of things that are obstacles, uh, a lot of things that are pressing in. So we need you. We lean into you. We want to walk literally in step with you. We want to be yoked together with you so that your shoulders bear all of the burden. We cast all of our care upon you for you care for us, but we want to be yoked with you and right next to you and go in your strength and in your power that you might be glorified and draw all hearts unto the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So may we hear what the Spirit would say to us this evening, and it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things, and everyone said, amen. Okay, let's, let's go back uh, to verse 11. Acts chapter 23, uh, verse 11. Here the apostle Paul has just been sharing uh, and testifying in Jerusalem. And he was rejected. Uh, but it says in verse 11, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And I love that. Last week's message was, you're not done. You're not finished. And I am with you. And I'm going to take you all the way to Rome, even as I told you from the very, very beginning. 
So I'm going to just start off with our outline, if you're following along with that. The exalted Lord is watching over us from heaven. He is watching over everything that is going on, every detail that is in your life. Um, And I know a lot of challenges, you know, that have come right now where they're forcing, mandating vaccines, all kinds of other things, and people are having to pray and seek the Lord and choose. And for some of you, it is, is my job on the line? Is my career on the line? Are we staying even here? Are we moving? It's a lot of things that are coming against us. And we want to be faithful to what the Lord is saying to us. Paul has just appeared before the Sanhedrin. That's the high court. It's the ruling body of the Jewish people. And, you know, so why did they bring these charges against Paul? They believed that he was worthy of death. They wanted to bring him before the Sanhedrin and before the high priest, and they wanted to make accusation against him, and they literally wanted Paul dead. But Paul threw the whole court into a (laughs) kerfuffle uh, when he stood up and said, I am a Jew, I am a believer in the Lord, and I am a supporter of the law of God, and I am a Pharisee, and I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And he knew that half of the Sanhedrin were Pharisees and the other half were Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. So there was a huge uproar and they started yelling and fighting back and forth. And finally, uh, it was going to turn into a riot. They wanted to grab Paul and kill him. So the Roman army had to step in and pull Paul back and take him to the barracks. So Paul had at least gotten to talk about the resurrection, and he wanted to even go on more about that Yeshua of Nazareth, but they knew that. They knew about Yeshua. They knew about Jesus of Nazareth. They knew that Paul was part of that, but they were firmly against the apostle Paul. And now there's this group, uh, because here's what I want to do. I want to read verses 12 through 15. So right after the Lord came that night, and he stands next to Paul, and he comforts him and encourages him and says, You're not finished, Paul. I'm still with you. I'm going to take you all the way to Rome, as I said at the beginning. So in verse 12, it says, And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and they said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Man, these guys, they had Paul in their grasp. Uh, They they had a chance to get rid of him. And they literally bound themselves together. We're not going to eat. We're not going to sleep. We're not going to drink until that man is dead. Now, here's, here's what we know. We know the inside of the story. Paul, the apostle, was actually God's chosen vessel to bring the truth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
Yeshua of Nazareth, and that he had died on the cross for the sins of the world. As the prophets had said, he was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And then he was buried, as the prophet said. And then on the third day, he had risen from the dead and ascended up into heaven. So Paul was God's chosen vessel to bring that message to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. And yet they, so here are the religious leaders. These are the religious people. These are the prayer warriors. These are the studiers of the Bible. These are the preachers. These are the men of God. This is the height of the religious community and they want the apostle Paul killed and dead. Do you realize how, how you know, they were deceived? They were the most religious and they were the most deceived. So here, so, so I just have to say kind of the obvious, you have to be careful about being around religious people. <laughs> because religious people can be really dangerous. Religious people were the ones, they were the ones in ancient Israel in the Old Testament who killed all the actual prophets from God because the people didn't like what the prophets were saying which was repent, quit worshiping idols, get back to the basics, follow me, worship me, obey me, rend your hearts, worship me in spirit and in truth. And they had kind of compromised. They had their idols, they had the Lord, they said, we kind of do both. And we don't like what they are saying, and God would never abandon us. He would never let our enemies come. And the prophets were saying, no, you have forsaken him. He is going to let your enemies come. He will let you get wiped out. You will lose your temple and your nation and your place. And they said, no, God would never do that. And then exactly what the prophets said came to pass. And they even put the prophets to death. And then, you know, Jesus had told the parable about, you know, the, the great a king who sent his servants and they kept killing them and finally he said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll listen to you know, my son. And they took him and killed him too. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He was sent from heaven. He is the son of God. And he was sent to the earth. And what did they do? The religious people took him and they said, crucify him, crucify him, and they killed him. Now we have, after the resurrection, Paul, who was one of them. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious guy who was deceived, who on the road to Damascus had a radical, divine revelation of the truth. And now he is standing before them, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the word of God and the truth about Jesus Christ. And it, you know, it'd be one thing if they just said, well, we don't believe and accept that Jesus is the Messiah. We should debate this, we should talk about this. Can you show us the scriptures that you can put together to show Jesus is the Messiah? No, they didn't do that. They said, we're gonna kill him. <laughs> How many would agree that's jumping all the way, you know, like there's many other things they could have done, but they jump all the way to, we're gonna kill him. And not only that, 40. So this is not a little obstacle, this is a huge obstacle. 40 religious, highly devoted Jewish priests basically are saying, we will not eat, we will not drink until that man is dead. So they're trying to set all of this up. So what I want to share with you is the Lord is watching all of this and that's why at this extreme moment the Lord, the risen Lord came 
into the prison where Paul was and stood right next to him and said, don't worry, Paul. You've, been, you've done well, my son, even as you have witnessed of me here in Jerusalem. Good job. I'm going to take you all the way to Rome. I'm sure Paul felt like, I'm done. I mean, Rome is after me. My own people are after me. Now here's this plot against him. But the Lord was standing there to comfort and to encourage him. So let's go to verses 16 through 22. And here's my life lesson from this. God can use anyone at any age. (laughs) Look what happens beginning in verse 16. It says, so when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Now look at that very carefully. Paul's sister's son found out about this ambush to kill Paul, and the son, so it would be his nephew, went and entered the barracks and told the apostle Paul, hey, there's 40 guys banded together, they're not gonna sleep or eat or drink or whatever until you're dead. And then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander. This is the Roman military commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the Roman commander took him by the hand and went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him, but do not yield to them. For more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Now, I want to just say, I find this noteworthy that the Lord used a young man to expose the works of darkness. This young man was Paul's nephew. It was Paul's sister. And by the way, this is the only reference to the Apostle Paul's family in the entire New Testament. If you want to learn more about Paul's family in the New Testament, just read the verse again. That's all there is. (laughs) He had a sister. And she had a son, which means Paul had a nephew. Now, what, so what about Paul's family? So let's talk about that. Was he married? Well, we believe that he probably was. Uh, being a Pharisee and maybe even being at some way attached with the Sanhedrin, it was kind of expected if not required, that you are married because to fulfill God's commands, to fill the earth and take dominion and be a light unto the nations, etc., cetera, uh, it was, would be extremely rare for him not to have been married. So then what would have happened to wife and or family or whatever? Uh, and there are those who have said that when Paul, who was you know, going one direction as a religious Jew and Pharisee, everything was fine, Once he had this dramatic turnaround, there was no wife, and she may have left. So I don't know. And whether whether she ever maybe came to the Lord or not, we don't know. But Paul then was single, 
and he was focused, and his, his whole life was now, I, I have to live out this mission of being a witness to Israel and to Jerusalem, my people, and even all the way to Rome. So this is the only reference to the Apostle Paul's family. And here it's very beautiful and interesting. I mean, God, you know, the Lord Jesus has stood next to Paul saying, you're not going to die here. You're going to make it all the way to Rome. That means somehow he's got to get out of the predicament that he is in. How is the Lord going to get the Apostle Paul out of this deal? Now, we know in other times and places in the book of Acts, like when Paul was in prison in Philippi, uh, that there was, he sent an earthquake. And the earthquake broke the chains off of their wrists, and it also opened the iron gates so they could literally walk out. Okay, how many think that would be, that would, I'm good with that, if God wants to break me out and do a miracle and send an earthquake, but this time there's no earthquake, there's no breaking of the you know, chains or bars or anything else. But yet, I want you to know that this, how God got Paul out of this prison, out of this 40 person, we're not gonna you know, eat or drink until he's dead, was just as supernatural as sending an earthquake and shaking the bars and the gates and breaking off the chains. So it, it's beautiful that, that God is able to do amazing things uh, even through miracles in a wonderful way. I want to take just a moment and go back to the lesson that God can use uh, young people for his work. Second Chronicles chapter 34, if you want to write this down. Second Chronicles chapter 34, verses 1 through 3. Talk about God using someone. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the ways of his father David. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images." So here was this you know, young man who was a king. He said, I want to be like uh, the great kings and like David, and I want to serve the Lord, and I'm going to bring all the idols down. I believe that we need a new generation of young men and young women that say we are done worshiping and following the gods of this world. We want to worship the one true and living God and serve him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Amen? May the Lord raise up new generation of young men and women. I want to say quickly about this young man. Paul's nephew was brave and he was courageous. He had to be willing to go to the castle and a prison around all kinds of Roman soldiers and guards. And he did it alone. Um, he knew what needed to be done. He knew that it would be difficult. He knew it would be dangerous, but it was the right thing to do. And number two, Paul's nephew was very wise. He not only told the captain the plot, he suggested and gave recommendations. He goes, I say that don't give in to the request to bring Paul over to this other place where they're gonna trap him and find him. He does, don't grant their request. This is a young guy giving a recommendation to a Roman military commander. And the Roman guy goes, that's pretty good advice. I think I'll follow that. 
Number three, Paul's nephew was very trustworthy. The Roman soldier told him to say nothing about the plot to anyone, not his parents or even other children. I want you to read with me 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read this out loud. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Now, I want you to note this. God works his supernatural ways often in the natural. So I, I was talking a moment ago about how God does things in a supernatural. Yes, we want to see earthquakes and all of that. But sometimes God does the supernatural in a natural way. Often he does that and we don't recognize it. How did God work something supernaturally in this place? Because there was a little boy or a young man, let's call him. He might have been a teenager. And maybe, you know, he's got a friend. And all of a sudden, this young man goes, I think I'll go visit my, my friend. And he goes over and he's visiting his friend. And in the next room, there's all these men talking. And then he hears his uncle's name, Paul. And they're talking. And so he knows what's going on. There's been a whole thing that's been going on in the, in the city of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, so his mom uh, would know, who's the sister of the Apostle Paul. But all of us, so here these guys are openly talking about their plot. Okay, there's 40 of us. We're gonna make an oath. Everybody, hands in. We're not gonna eat. We're not gonna drink until that man, Paul, little boy's going, wow, that's my uncle, is dead. And what's amazing is, that, that boy is there, they don't see, you know, he was probably there, but they don't see him. They don't think of him. They don't know that he is a nephew of the Apostle Paul. Was that, do you think, a coincidence? Or was that God, who knew exactly where to put a nephew, a young boy that would not be seen or noticed, let's put it that way, and let alone recognized as a relation to the Apostle Paul, God had that young man in the right place at the right time to be able to take that information. And then he goes into the Roman you know, garrison called the Antonio Fortress with all of these military commanders, Romans, they're the feared occupiers of the nation of Israel. He weaves his way, yes, I wanna see my uncle. And he gets to Paul and he tells Paul, and Paul says, wait here. And he knocks, you know, on the iron gate. He gets, the guy says, get the commander here. And he goes, okay, nephew, tell him what you have heard. Now, here's the deal. The commander who is at that park is thinking, look, number one, if, you know, I believe that there's 40 guys that are that committed. I mean, that's why Romans are here is because Israel you guys are crazy sometimes. There could be insurrection, and probably those 40 were willing to die. They're gonna have to kill to get Paul out and away from whatever handful of Roman soldiers. They, they were gonna kill some Roman soldiers. Probably many of them would be killed, but they would make sure that Paul was killed. They were that committed and they were that ready to put him to death. So this Roman commander is going, the last thing I need is to have my soldiers killed, let alone an assassination. 
that happens on my watch and that report gets back to Rome, I'm in big trouble. So he wants to make sure that this does not happen. So I love how the Lord was there with the little boy, the young man, at the right place at the right time to hear all of that. And then he comes to the apostle Paul. Paul then knows to take it to the commander and the commander's going to make a decision that will ensure that the apostle Paul gets out of that prison safely and is escorted by none other than the Roman military so that he can make his next appointment. (laughs) And not only that, not only will he make his next appointment, and be able to preach the gospel to Caesar, Nero, right in the capital of the Roman Empire, but Rome's gonna pay for the missions trip. Can I hear an amen on that? Rome's paying for the whole thing. So what I want you to realize is there are many times that we we wait for the miraculous, it has to be something spectacular. And in reality, I think that we miss and we're not aware and we're not paying attention that so many times, I believe, in our lives, God is the one moving the pieces, the people, the circumstances, the places. And you go, wow, it's funny how it all just kind of seemed to work out as I was going along. And so I want to say, you silly person, the Lord is with you. He is watching over you. There are no coincidences. God never goes, wow, that was amazing how that worked out. I didn't see that coming. He goes, I planned that. I put that boy there. I made it so that they wouldn't see him, hear him, notice him, or pay attention to him. And then I took him and gave that boy the courage to go and talk to his uncle who then was able to go to the Roman commander. And that which basically gets into our next point. I want you to look at verses 23 and 24, and I want you to know this, how God uses the military to save his servant and to fulfill his purposes. So after this was all revealed, and now look how how they responded to this. And he called for two centurions saying, prepare, now look, look at this, so that we know there's 40, and they're committed to coming against them, and, and uh, you know, they've taken an oath, so these guys are serious assassins. So how does this Roman military guy respond? He says, prepare 200 soldiers, read Roman soldiers, 70 horsemen, and on top of that, 200 spearmen, to go to Caesarea, at the third hour of the night. He goes, number one. so he literally says, I'm gonna take this one prisoner and surround him with 470 Roman soldiers, 70 of them on horseback and spearmen and you know some gnarly Roman dudes. So 10 times the 40 plus that are gonna be surrounding the Apostle Paul and provide mounts to set Paul on. So not only does Paul go out, but it's not like he's hiding. The the commander says, and put Paul, the one they're trying to get, put him up on a horse so he can wave to him as they go out. (laughs) And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. 
And then he wrote in a letter uh, the following manner. I want you to just note here very quickly how God used the military to save his servant Paul and to fulfill his purposes. The commander realizes that these assassins are really committed. They would stop at nothing for Paul to be dead. So Claudius arranges, uh, and just to give you a little idea of the Roman military, the Roman military uh, and army was built around the Roman legion. A Roman legion consisted of 6,000 men. This was divided into centuries, or 100 men led by a centurion. So the centurion comes from the Greek word century, So that's where the centurions, who were the backbone of the Roman legions. And these centurions, as leaders, were in the closest contact with the men. And therefore, they were the officers. Centurions were the officers upon whom the top brass of the military army around the world depended upon most heavily. So judging by the number of soldiers, mounted cavalry, and spearmen, Claudius was going to make absolute sure that there was no assassination of a Roman citizen on his watch. And I just want to say this, um, because, you know, we live in San Diego. You know, I was born and raised in San Diego. And one of the reasons I'm in San Diego is because my dad, uh, back in the day, joined the Coast Guard and that was going to be his service for our country, so that brought him from Imperial Valley to San Diego. And um, when he got here, he was like, I think I'll stay here. (laughs) Pretty nice. But San Diego is a military town. Uh, Navy and Marines and, you know, Miramar and the Jets and uh, you know, the Top Guns and all the things that we have, everything that's at Coronado, We are a huge military city. Of course, we are the very southwest corner of the entire United States of America. And I know that we have a lot of military uh, men and women that are not only here, but, you know, as they've gone on to other places that stay in touch with us. And I I just wonder if, you know, we could take a moment and honor the military. And I've, I've noticed that in the Bible, military, the whole idea of understanding a chain of command Uh, having authority, taking responsibility, being faithful, diligent, learning to work together as a team, sacrifice, honor. Every time in the Bible that a Roman centurion, even in the Gospels with Jesus or now in the book of Acts in the early church, every single time a Roman military person is spoken of, it's always in a way of honoring them. And so can we just honor the military that take care of us all around for the freedoms that we have and that we enjoy. Thank God. Thank God. And there's something about that. Yeah, I know Rome and they had their idols and all the rest of it. But in the military, there was something that was that very powerful. And God used even the ancient armies, sometimes even of, you know, pagan kings or whatever, to accomplish his purposes and his will. They were the ones that brought, yes, judgment, if you might put it in another way, discipline to the ancient nation of Israel. 
And then God would raise up new armies to give them deliverance or freedom. Or he would use other armies to then send them back and and let them travel back to Israel and even help pay for uh, the rebuilding of the temple. So military. So I am praying that I know our military uh, is is challenged uh, in these days and times, but I know that there are many, many good, faithful, loyal, godly men and women, and may God use our military again for such a time as this to step into the gap and be used by the Lord for his glory and for his honor for this nation for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just, I just, you know, it really touches me. I wonder if this Roman centurion who's with this guy, Paul, I, I have a feeling when we get to heaven, there's going to be not a few Roman centurion soldiers who were stationed. We know the one centurion that was stationed uh, there in the Gospels and, and it received a miracle because, you know, he's from Rome. He gets stationed in the Middle East because there's problems. We got to keep them under wraps. And while he's there, he leaves whatever pagan idolatry he was raised to believe in, and he becomes a believer in the one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is known as a good man, a trustworthy man. And he says, I honor the God of Israel. And he has a servant that is home and sick, and Jesus says, wow. And and they say, this guy's honorable, and he even gives money, you know, he tithes, he believes in God, he believes in the God of Abraham, just, and Jesus says, I'll go to your house. And he goes, you don't need to go to my house. He goes, I'm a man of authority. I'm a Roman soldier. I tell somebody to go, you better go. I tell him to come, you better come. So I know you don't need to come to my house. You are a man of much greater authority in the spiritual realm than me. You just give the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was stunned. He said something that he hadn't said to any Jewish person. He said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel as in that man, that centurion, that I have the power that when I give the word, it shall be so. And I believe that centurion, being a Roman, being a soldier with all of his training and understanding, realized the power of authority. When you have the position of authority and you give a command, it's over, it's done. And he recognized it now and applied it to spiritually Jesus and had the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah and his servant was healed as they went back. They found out that very same moment, that very same hour, Jesus gave the command he was healed. So look with me in verses 25 through 30. And this letter speaks for itself. So here's the letter that he now is sending about the case of the Apostle Paul. It says, and he called for two centurions saying... Oh, I'm sorry, verse 26. Okay, so Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized, uh, was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him. And notice in his letter, he makes himself look pretty good. I rescued the guy, having learned that he was a Roman, a Roman citizen. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of religious stuff, their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death in chains or chains. I like that. He spoke the truth. Now he's defending Paul. 
And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers uh, to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. So now in closing, look with me in verse 31. In these final verses, the main point in all this is that God's servants are unstoppable. It says, then the soldiers, as they were commanded, all 470 of them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipas. The next day they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea, which is on the Mediterranean coast of Israel, and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be sent in Herod's praetorium. So here, let's close just with this. God Almighty wanted a witness before the rulers of this world. And there is no greater witness for the Messiah than a believer who is standing up for Jesus Christ in the face of persecution. Paul was willing to go to the mat. He was willing to lay down his life. And to be faithful to the calling that God had given to him, there were plenty of problems. There were plenty of hindrances. There were plenty of obstacles. All kinds of things were coming against him. Threats, packs of 40 assassins, not gonna eat and we're not gonna drink until, but Paul made it through every single obstacle. He fulfilled God's calling on his life. He was successful in being obedient to the heavenly calling upon his life because he was with the Lord, the hand of the Lord was upon him, and therefore Paul the Apostle gave an example for all of us that when you're in the will of God and you're following his leading and guiding in your life, no matter what comes against you, you will be unstoppable. Absolutely nothing, not assassins, not demons, not circumstances, not pressures, nothing will be able to stop you from accomplishing God's purpose and his plan for your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We'll ask the uh, worship team to come out and prepare for communion. And so um, we're going to partake of communion in just a moment. But before we do, I want to give an invitation. I'm going to give you an opportunity. Uh, if there's anybody here, by the way, you know, take a moment for those, maybe if you're at home uh, or in your studio or apartment, wherever it may be, and you want to get some bread and you want to get something uh, for the juice or to, to drink for the cup. But we have an open communion. Thank you, Jesus. And right now, you are all, I'm bringing us all in worship and prayer before the throne. And the one who is seated there, the Lord Jesus, your Lord and Savior, um, he said, as often as you do this, remember me. 
If you, if the Holy Spirit reveals to you what, who is this one seated upon the throne, this risen Lord, resurrected Savior, I don't know how to, uh, only the Holy Spirit can show and reveal to you, but those who have seen the resurrected Lord say he, he looks, when you see him in the midst of that blinding Shekinah glory, as a lamb who had been slain. Somehow there are still those scars, the marks, I guess, of, of all that he suffered. It's a picture of pure love for you. And it ought to melt your heart as you worship him and remember him. And he said, as often as you do this, I want you to remember me. Remember how much I love you. There, if, if I was willing to be beaten and crucified for you, do you understand how much and intensely I love you now? That if I was willing to do that, there is nothing that I would not do for you with all of his glory and all of his power. And so just thanking him, communing with him, worshiping him, remembering the cross just right now. But we have an open communion. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're more than welcome to partake with us. If you're not yet a believer, hey, we're glad you're here, you're listening, maybe you're considering the gospel or the claims of Jesus Christ. But this is only for those who actually believe Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross for me, and he rose from the dead. But there is one other thing you could do. You might say, I want to be a believer. What must I do to be saved? I'm gonna say a very simple, childlike prayer. Because Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come inside of you and fellowship with you, sup with you, become family. So in this prayer, we're gonna ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins. We're gonna open our hearts and we're gonna ask him to come in. You're gonna get off the throne of running your own life and you're gonna turn everything over to your savior. How beautiful is that? You have a savior who's gonna lead you and guide you and fill you with his spirit and wash and cleanse your sins away. So if you wanna say this prayer with me, those who know the Lord can pray with me, those who are maybe recommitting their lives to the Lord, or if you have never done this and you want to tonight, afterwards then you may partake with us uh, and this could be your first believer's communion. So those who are willing, let's pray together out loud after this manner. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.